The reading this morning is from uh, Jonah chapter 4, which is, will be on the screen, but if you want to follow it in the Pew Bibles, it's uh, page 929. And we've reached the point in the story of Jonah where he's reluctantly gone to Nineveh, preached uh, to uh, the people there, They got the message that God was not pleased with them, but wanted them to turn back to him. They turned back in a big way. And so just before chapter 4, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was at home? That this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right? for you to be angry about the plant. It is, he said. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Speed to God. And preach to us from that reading. Father, thank you for 
your word. Thank you that it speaks to us in the things that we need to hear. And Father, I pray that you would bless John now as he preaches to us, Lord, that we would hear what you want us to, and that we would be enlightened um, in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. And thank you, Jenny, for that very lively reading. George it all brought, brought it vividly before us. Now, you remember last week we looked at Jonah chapter 3, and Peter spoke about the phenomenal success of Jonah's mission to Nineveh, how the people all repented and turned to God. So it seemed that after all the drama of the previous chapters, finally everything turned out well. Or did it? Peter finished, you remember, by saying, stay tuned. And now this morning we've come to the final chapter and we discover that this book isn't here in the Bible because of the repentance of Nineveh. We don't know how long their repentance lasted. These were the people who a few decades later invaded and destroyed Jonah's homeland and the nation of Israel was taken away into captivity. No, it's not about that. The book of Jonah is here in the Bible because of how God dealt with Jonah himself. And here's one of the fundamental truths about our own service for God and the ways we witness for him in our daily lives, wherever God may call us. It, ultimately, it's not what we do for God that counts. It's what God teaches us through the service we give. God is sovereign. He can achieve his purposes either through us or without us. But he is concerned to see us grow in grace and through our service for him to learn more about how to live in fellowship with himself. A closer daily walk to, with God is our pathway to heaven. And that's why the book of Jonah is so instructive for us today. Now, we can see right at the start of this chapter that there's a problem. Jonah was greatly displeased, we read, and became very angry. Well, we might have thought that he'd be basking in the knowledge that his words had had a powerful effect on the people of Nineveh. His reputation was now established as a preacher. He'd achieved great things for God. Instead, he now says that his life isn't worth living. And he goes out of the city in a rage. Well, what's this all about? I know they're a rare sight nowadays, but I remember when I was younger, uh, one often saw someone walking up and down in the high street with a big board in front and another one hanging behind with a message on it saying something like, Sail now on at Freeman, Hardy and Willis. You remember them. Sandwich board men, they were called. They were, like, they were the hapless individuals stuck between the boards like the meat in a sandwich. The last surviving examples of this species generally carried a religious message, such as, prepare to meet your God, or the end is nigh. Well, I suppose in these days of the internet, 
there are much more effective ways of advertising uh, than by asking somebody to walk up and down with the big boards attached to them. But for me, as I read about Jonah walking through the streets of Nineveh in this book of the Bible, I see him as rather like a sandwich board man. He has this short message, 40 days and this place will be destroyed. A compelling enough warning, even if brief. Short enough, in fact, to be written out in large letters on a board. As we heard from Peter last week, for all its brevity, it was a most effective sermon. But was it the whole gospel? Or was it just the bit that Jonah enjoyed preaching about? It was great to have a commission to threaten the whole city with destruction. And if we wonder why on earth a preacher should be upset because everyone believed what he told them, the answer has to be that Jonah was thus deprived of seeing his words come true. It seems he was less interested in winning converts for God than in proving that he was a true prophet, even though multitudes would suffer as a result. As the 40 days went by and nothing happened, who would know whether Jonah had been right or not? And so Jonah is sadly disappointed and he gets into a rage and he goes out of the city and in verse 2 he argues with God, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But he didn't seem to include much of that in what he told the people of Nineveh. Indeed, we read here that he made it an excuse as to why he'd not gone to Nineveh in the first place and had tried to run away. What's the point, Lord? You're going to forgive them anyway. And so after the success of his mission, we find Jonah sulking because Nineveh hasn't been destroyed yet. But as his sulks, God extends his compassion even to him. And he causes this quick-growing plant to give him shelter from the heat of the sun. But by the next day, some creature, a grub or a caterpillar, called a worm in our translation, a couple of days ago, our cat found the caterpillar of an elephant hawk moth in the garden. It was ginormous, almost the size of a rat. And you could certainly imagine it devouring a whole forest in no time. By next day, this uh, shelter of this plant which God has provided for Jonah has been destroyed by the grub or the caterpillar. And it turns out to be an especially hot day with a scorching east wind. And Jonah is furious that his shelter has been destroyed. So now God challenges him. He says, you cared about this plant, which you didn't do anything about providing, and it was here today and gone tomorrow. But you don't show any compassion for all the ignorant people and animals in Nineveh, the greatest city at that time. He could feel sorry for the destruction of a plant which had given him shelter, but no concern for the city 
despite its, real, its evil reputation, it was a great center of civilization at that day. And God wanted to save the inhabitants and make it a beacon of hope for the world. We see here that the limitless love of God stretches far beyond those who are safe in the fold of the church. The good shepherd is still searching for the lost sheep. The grieving father is always looking for the return of a lost son. More than that, did you notice at the end that God is concerned for the animals as well? God loves everything he's made. Now, I consider that despite his apparent success when he preached in Nineveh, Jonah was a failed prophet, and he failed because he was motivated by anger, not by the yearning love of God to save his creation. Justice and mercy are the two pillars of God's throne. There are many in the world who campaign for justice today, but are they always motivated by love for the oppressed, or rather by hatred of the oppressor? As the letter of James puts it in the New Testament, our anger does not promote the righteousness of God. Despite being a failed prophet, in my opinion, Jonah, perhaps more than all the other prophets in Scripture, has some important lessons to teach us. And so I want now to look at the journey we've made with Jonah over the last five weeks and try to draw out some of these lessons from his experience and apply them to ourselves. So here we go, and hopefully they'll come up on the screen as I go through them. In the first place, you remember right at the beginning, Jonah decided to disobey God and run away from his vocation to go to Nineveh. Yet he knew, as he told the sailors when he got caught in the storm, that God is everywhere, the Lord of heaven and earth. And so what was the point of running away? It was futile. And so we draw from this that we can't get away from God except in the one way of closing our hearts to him. So if God seems far away from where we are this morning, is it because something is in our hearts is closed to him? He's promised to be with us always. So are we deaf to his word? Are we blind to see what he has set before us in the guidance he gives us? That's the first point. Secondly, we find that Jonah's disobedience didn't frustrate God's plans. In fact, it led to a bonus because the sailors on that ship in the storm came themselves to worship God, which we read about in verse 16, where Jonah um, says that he's a servant of the God who made heaven and earth, and when the storm abates after they've thrown him into the sea, um, the sailors see this amazing thing happen, and they're led to worship God and offer sacrifices and make vows. God can use us wherever we are, and if we have disobeyed him in some way, the result will not be the failure of God's plans, only that we've put ourselves in a bad place, which we need to do something about. But as for God's purposes, 
we see in a wonderful way he can often bring good out of evil. And then the third point is that as danger threatened, Jonah became suicidal and asked to be thrown off the ship. There in the depths of the sea, he prayed a remarkable prayer of deliverance. Uh, a prayer of faith in chapter 2, where he says in verse 2, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Well, he was still in the depths of the sea. How could he pray like that? Some Christians think it's presumptuous to claim to be saved. Surely Jonah wasn't saved until he got to dry land, was he? So neither will we be until we get to heaven. But Jonah's salvation was not being put back on shore, but in the fact that God had provided the fish. By this he knew, surely, that God was with him. And so it is for us. We know we are saved, not because we've reached heaven, nor because we're in any way ready to, for heaven, but because we know God is with us and he's provided us with something like Jonah's fish. What is that? Well, it's the certainty of our future in Christ. It's the knowledge that as members of his church, the fellowship of believers who have trusted in Christ for salvation, we find strength and grace through word and sacrament as we meet and worship together. The fish, you know, was an early Christian symbol. And it was so, people think, because it spells out the first letters of the Greek words, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Saviour. But see here also, there's another reminder in the symbol of the fish of being in the saved company of our fellow believers in the salvation provided in Christ, who is like the fish for Jonah or the ark for Noah, the thing that bears us through the storms of this life until we come safely to our journey's end. And then fourthly, God gave Jonah another chance to go to Nineveh in chapter 3. And from this we can take the reassurance that God will never give up on us. However much we feel we've failed, none of us is useless to him. So long as we're ready to place ourselves in his hands, he has a purpose for you and for me, and those purposes will be a blessing for ourselves and others. And now, fifthly, today we've seen that Jonah had a real issue with anger. He's not the only one. I'm sure you've met people, perhaps at times you yourself, have been filled with anger over something. But in the same way as Jonah, our service for God will never turn out right if we're motivated by anger against those who reject God and mock his laws. Remember on the cross, Christ had no words of condemnation, only forgiveness for his enemies. And now lastly, we're left wondering what happened next. The book ends rather unusually with a question. 
God asked Jonah, Should not I be concerned about that great city, which is more than 120,000 people, who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Of course, it's a rhetorical question, but it demands some response from Jonah. I wonder what his response was. By the grace of God, it might have led to a transformation in Jonah's life, as he saw exactly how wrong he'd been to be so full of anger. Let's hope that the door opened to a new life for him. As he stood on this threshold of grace, his anger melted away. He saw Nineveh now with eyes of compassion, with eyes of love, and with the eyes of Christ. We can stand on the same threshold this morning. God asks us the same question. Should not I be concerned about the state of my world today? Should I not ask you to bring the word of life to those who sit in ignorance and darkness? If we reflect that God has borne with the immense evils of humanity, with all the damage we've done to ourselves and the rest of his creation, and yet God is still longing to bring us back to himself, that reflection will teach us how to be motivated by love and not by anger. We can never serve God aright if we allow anger to control our lives. So let us pray that we may be so transformed that we may be filled with that divine love shining through us by God's grace so that what people see in us is never anger or hatred but always that redeeming love which has reached out in Christ to touch and bless each one of us. Amen.